This is the Canna Curio Podcast by Cannabis Media, your source for cannabis and hemp license updates directly from the data vault. Don't forget to subscribe to the Cannabis Media newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to stay informed of future episodes and data releases. Welcome to the Canna Curio Podcast powered by Cannabis Media. We're your hosts, Amanda Guerrero and Ed Keating. On today's show, we're joined by Danny Pomerci, Vice President of Account Development at PMG Development. Danny and the PMG Group have been with Cannabis Media since 2019, and we're excited to have them on the show. As always, before we jump in with Danny, let's check in with Ed and see what he's uncovered this week from the Data Vault. Ed? Hi, Amanda. We've uh, dug into two things recently. The one I'm most pleased with and relieved is we released our Cannabis Stack software report. So as you may remember from previous pods, we dug into 320 connected companies across the U.S. and how they connect into state seed-to-sale systems. And then we overlaid that with the number of licenses in those states that they could reach. So in some ways, trying to impute some market share or, or, or market opportunity. So it was really fascinating. And we've gotten great feedback and questions from our clients. So really uh, pleased on that one. And then secondly, our data scientists did a lot of work with me to map all the titles that we have in the database for people to certain roles and levels. So if somebody is the VP of uh, cultivation, you know, we'll now allow you to search for that. So if you want to get VP level uh, people who focus on cultivation, you now have a way to uh, reach a lot more of those people. So we think it'll help our customers reach the type of license holders that they really want to get to. So we're very excited about both those things. Oh, that's awesome. I know when I use a platform, the context view is super important, especially when you're sending out targeted messaging. So I'm so excited that uh, you guys are going to be adding more roles within the organization uh, to the platform. Um, now, Ed, regarding the Cannabis Stack software report, how do subscribers and non-subscribers access this? So subscribers it's our business and our business plus customers they get it as part of their subscription so they've been contacted so that they can uh, read it and have access to it for everybody else we have an executive summary that we've made available for download uh, and that's at cannabis.media so you can find it there Wonderful. Well, I'll definitely uh, make sure to share as much as I can on my end. But thank you for the update, Ed. Coming up next, we'll be joined by Danny Parmerchi of PMG Development. Stay tuned. PMG Development has been providing financial and land development services to the cannabis and hemp industry since 2015. We're engaged in projects across the U.S., helping people and businesses develop, fund, and build long-lasting projects and companies within states that have or are preparing to legalize marijuana. We assist in planning, capitalizing, and developing the business and real estate infrastructure. For more information, visit pmgdevelop.com. That's pmgdevelop.com. Welcome back, everybody. Today, we're joined by Danny, the Vice President of Account Development at PMG Group. Danny, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the show. 
We know that you're no stranger to cannabis media or the cannabis industry, but let's give our users, our listeners, some background information on yourself. Uh, how long have you been within the cannabis space and where did you work before? Well, I've been in land development and finance for, for most of my career. Uh, and as a company, PMG, we've been with uh, working with cannabis companies since about 2016. We actually were a traditional land development and financial resource construction company, but we got our start with one of the, the larger cannabis companies in Colorado, uh, you know, really focusing on accounting and construction management. And that relationship basically blossomed after uh, a couple of completed projects uh, we became their development managers, focusing on planning and completing their commercial real estate uh, and business expansion projects. Basically, one of the main focuses that we had was ensuring that they were properly planning and monetizing their retail stores, their cultivation facilities, their MIPS. And then alongside, you know, as that relationship progressed, bringing capital to the table for those projects, including uh, some equity, some debt and some lease back, uh, including a large lease back for a large corporate center. So, you know, to that effect, we've been really working with cannabis companies for over five years now. Wow, that's so exciting. And when, you know, looking at uh, your services, you know, I have to wonder, did these companies seek you guys out or were you looking to get into the cannabis space? It, it actually started uh, pretty organically, no pun intended. Um, our so Rick Handley, who is our principal and founder, and, and Austin Handley, they moved here from Michigan, having done a lot of traditional real estate uh, development and commercial development, and uh, just organically kind of met the owners of the group, and the, the relationship started from there. And we, you know, five years later, we find ourselves deep in the thick of the cannabis space, having done, uh, you know... Uh, over a dozen projects with that group uh, and having some organic referrals uh, and started marketing a little bit more towards cannabis companies as we found a bit of a niche. So our business is actually about 50% cannabis now where we do a lot of cannabis projects for a lot of clients and then we do a lot of traditional real estate projects uh, as well, um, subdivisions, um, multifamily, uh, residential developments, things of that nature. So, Danny, you mentioned that uh, since 2016, you started with a large license holder, and, and the research has shown that there were a number of large license holders in Colorado. How has the recent shift toward letting outside money come into the state impacted that marketplace? Like, are you seeing anything different now? I think we're seeing a big change and a, and a big shift where before a lot of, you know, I had a friend who had a uh, uh, one of the first, uh, I believe, 20 licenses in Colorado, and it was him gathering uh, about $10,000 between him and a couple of buddies and taking a small loan out uh, from a friend of theirs and starting a, a retail store. And you saw a lot of companies and a lot of groups start out just like that with that small focus. You know, they've had some experience in the past and wanted to get into the legal space. And now what you're seeing is a much more commoditized market. You're seeing a very large shift to companies that are more financially secure and focused on higher margins. It's become less about cannabis being a new market and much more about really taking advantage of the financial availability uh, and, and building large scale jobs. I think in the, across the United States, cannabis has brought in if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around 211,000 jobs by the, uh, uh, within 2020. So we've seen yeah, a big shift from small companies to really large companies and, 
and a lot of money coming in. Yeah, that's for sure. And, and Amanda, as a former recruiter, can probably back you up on that uh, number as well. Now, you mentioned that as you work with these clients, you really try and look across you know, all the holdings that they might have, whether it be MIPS, dispensaries, cultivation, et cetera. I mean, from a value chain perspective, is there a certain part of um, the cannabis value chain that's really attractive for, for you and where you focus a lot? For us specifically, you know, we're focused on the land development and the financial resourcing as a company, right? And on the financial resourcing, you know, we've got a lot of financial groups that are looking to invest money in those groups. And so there's specific things that they do look for in businesses and in companies. So for us, the focus is on the development will bring the right group to the table for each of those businesses. And one of the things that they do like to see is the vertical integration with groups and companies that are able to control their cost of goods and control the majority of their own supply chain. You know, one of the biggest issues that we've seen across certain states are companies coming in and starting, for instance, retail stores. And as they're applying for licenses, they've got relationships and agreements with cultivators. Uh, you know, you saw this a lot in Illinois, where they had agreements and relationships with cultivators uh -huh. to take on product. And those cultivators ended up selling their own product and having a very, very small percentage available to those retailers. And so they ended up running out of cannabis and out of actual product to sell to patients. So being able to control your own supply chain is, is one of the big areas where a lot of our financial participants and our financial groups look for companies to understand what their comprehensiveness is going to be and what their plan is to ensure that they're able to bring product to their stores if it is a retail component. Yeah, absolutely. It actually seems to mirror some of the issues that happened oddly in hemp where people grew it because they were all excited and then they sort of had no place to sell it on to. So sort of really understanding how that supply chain works and, and where it can get uh, choked. Now, uh, you mentioned Illinois and you know obviously Colorado. You know, Do you cover nationwide? I mean, uh, you know, where are your markets served? We do. We work nationwide. Uh, you know, We've had clients in California, Arizona, Colorado. Uh, we did about a 25,000 square foot MIP in Oregon that actually recently transitioned into a CBD extraction and isolation facility. Uh, we've got a client in Missouri with a very altruistic approach, actually very excited about that project that we're taking on right now. Uh, clients in Michigan, um, our principal and founder is actually from Michigan, so we've got a, a good good foothold and uh, in that space. So we are, we do work on projects nationwide. Uh, I forgot to mention Massachusetts, a few other states. Yeah. We, uh, we try to make our way around, you know, one of the big things that we, one of the big value adds that we really bring is we have a very clear understanding of what historical costs are to build and develop these types of facilities. And so we can bring the right capital to the table because the performers that we're writing out are much more detailed and comprehensive because we know the actual cost because the cost vary, uh, changes and so much variance across the nation, we're able to button down and have a real understanding of what it really costs to build a cannabis facility across the nation. Yeah, well, that's, I imagine, really helpful to the people that you're working with having so much experience, especially across multi-jurisdictions. That was actually one of the observations in that software report we wrote that, you know, if you're trying to find a vendor or service provider, having somebody that has worked in more than one state can be a big help because 
it's not their first rodeo uh, or, you know, they, they've been to multiples and, and, and that can really, I think, be, um, be, be useful for, for, especially for the client. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things that we've seen with a lot of the companies that we've worked with. They, they have, most of them have consultants or some level of consultancy uh, that they take on. And it's been interesting to see the level of, of knowledge and professionalism across the board with those consulting groups. You know, there's so many consultants that have done one cannabis project in the past or they've, you know, they've, they were a master grower in one specific location in one state and growing and building and developing and operating in other states is so different and so unique that it all has its own different challenges, different regulations, different rules and requirements that you have to follow that having that, that depth of knowledge and experience really does provide a value add to those groups. Yeah. Now, uh, there's been a lot of interesting financial transactions and tactics in the news, really, I'd say, over the last 12 months, as the industry seems to have transitioned from, hey, let's do a big land grab market share and try and get every dispensary on every corner, to let's run an operationally efficient and profitable organization. Uh, some of those that I've seen, and I'd you know be interested to hear your insights are, you know, a lot of the leasebacks that we're seeing, uh, where it seems that companies are trying to free up capital, is, is you know, what, what is your take on that? Is that an effective strategy for license holders to to get more working capital? I think it depends on the structure of the leaseback and the actual group itself. We've done a number of leasebacks for clients, and they've all been structured very, very differently. An example is, you know, we've done leasebacks with clients where it's a sale leaseback, effectively, and a client doesn't have a lot of equity. And so taking on debt becomes more difficult for them. So rather than taking on an equity, an equity participant in their business, they'll take on a sale leaseback where effectively they're selling the real estate and they're selling their business to that group over a short period of time with a repayment schedule. And then they effectively buy back the business and the real estate. So let's say it's a, as an absolute example, let's say it's a three year term. After those three years, they're paying back the principal and the interest, and then they're buying back the real estate and they're buying back their business. If huh. for any reason they default in that structure, they lose both assets. So it provides a high level of collateralization for the group that's actually lending the money, which gives them more security, especially sure. given, given, the, given the times that we're in right now financially with the, with the commercial lending space. But at the same time, it also gives the business owner the ability that if they're actually able to realize their business plan and, and monetize based on their financial assumptions, they're able to acquire back every asset and component of their business and grow and scale. That's been a, a, a financial model and a financial vehicle that's very advantageous for a lot of groups because it takes a lot more capital to get into the cannabis space now than it ever has before, especially if you want to be competitive and actually have a true market share in, in your market. Uh, makes makes sense. I mean, one of the other ones we've seen talking about sort of, you know, the capital is uh, acreage holdings. They recently took out a short-term loan uh, that has been calculated to be at a 60% interest rate. So, uh, you know, do you think that just speaks to the times we're in? Uh, obviously, there, there must be some company-specific details we're not party to as to why they would uh, go down that route. But have you seen anything like that uh, in the industry? Yeah, 60% is, is definitely higher than I've seen in the industry. But, you know, where the lending landscape is right now, that might be the only option that they have. I'd be interested to see how they... Uh, 
how they had to collateralize on that as well. You know, COVID has had uh, a lot of varying impacts on the industry within the cannabis space, especially in the lending capacities. You know, we've seen ratios change quite a bit with a lot of lenders where they're where they used to lend debt on 70-30 LTVs, 80-20 LTVs pre-COVID, and those have dropped quite significantly to that 50-50, 40-60 range from what we've seen. Interest rates have gone obviously up. We had a client that was paying 39.5% interest. And this is a client that has seven facilities across three states that was cash flow positive and was doing well and they couldn't take on lending because the collateralization has, has changed so much. You know, lenders are not only decreasing the LTV amounts that we were talking about, but they're requiring a much higher amount of cash flow, additional guarantees from borrowers that typically you've never had to put in the past. And then we've seen companies require, our groups require pandemic insurance clauses. So depending on what your financial capacity is at that moment to take on the lending, you might end up having to pay whatever you're being charged by the only group that's coming to the table. Uh, these are tough times with, you know, the leasebacks, interest rates. You know, the last question I got to ask is, what about m and You know, we just saw Curly finally getting their deal done, and they've been talking about wanting to acquire more licenses because they think they can do it at a discount. And thanks to COVID, they may be right. What's your take on that? And what's the impact on, on, on your firm if, if, if that does become more the norm in the next 6, 12, 18 months? We've worked with a couple of groups on, on different mergers and acquisition strategies based on what their needs are. Um, you know, and it's hard to say that they're wrong because there are enough groups out there that don't have the kind of cash flow that they need to expand. And they can come in and give them a high cash dollar amount for their license and acquire their business or merge. And they're doing it because financially advantageous to both groups. Now it's obviously more advantageous to the larger group. It's like playing poker and one person has $100 and the other person has $2,000. They're gonna be able to play their hand a little bit looser uh, and, and control the board a little bit better. Um, you know, it, it's been interesting, the, the landscape that we have seen across the board with groups and licenses specifically um, in the new area, in, in the new states coming across. If you look at licenses that were issued in Missouri, a lot of the larger groups uh, that applied for licenses didn't get their licenses. You had a lot of smaller groups actually receive licenses in Missouri versus the companies that are that are operating in five, six, seven states. Right, and, right. And it, and it makes it difficult for a company like that to to get off the ground because they're going to have a number of a number of offers from those big groups, like you mentioned, come to the table and provide them with a high dollar amount value, a high dollar amount offer for their license. The biggest issue that, that I've seen across the board with M&A activity, license acquisition included, has really been the valuation. There has not been a lot of consistency from what we've seen from a valuation perspective in regards to licensing. Uh, understanding what the true value of the license is, understanding what the true value of the business is it's, uh, itself. You've seen valuation methods go in from uh, tax filings. I've seen valuations based on assets, valuations based on cash flow. There have been so many different ways of doing it. And that's why you've seen so many different mergers fall apart 
at the 11th hour. So many different mergers fall apart. At, at the closing table, effectively, we've seen a number of large ones come across that are over $100 million because when they get to the final table to close, both groups realize that the other company's valuation might be skewed or they might have been evaluated differently than they had evaluated their business. It's one of the reasons we've spent such a long time cultivating a, a portfolio of financial groups and participants that we work with that work with us with our clients for that as a long-term strategic financial partner so they don't have to make those types of long-term decisions but on somebody else's uh based on somebody else's viewpoint or analysis of their business you know we've brought in real estate investment trusts and ppms private funds um accredited investors um, and, and a number of different wealthy individuals that participate in our clients' projects just so that they can build their business successfully, have a long-term strategic approach. So when a larger cannabis company that's got 45 different facilities comes and knocks on the door, they don't have to say yes because it's more money than they could have put together. They can actually analyze and, and make a good decision for their business long-term. No, that's a that's a great point. I, I think back to when I was in business school, I had an entrepreneurial finance uh, professor, and one of the, the 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 rules he drummed into our head is, if you don't know what your business is worth, somebody else will tell you, and so you really have to know that, and to your point, have the assets to kind of back it up so that you can continue to play and and be successful and and chart your own course forward, and not have somebody decide it for you. No, you're you're a hundred percent correct. Um, if you don't have a clear understanding of what the value of your business is, and not just the licensing, but the true long-term value based on multiples over over five, 10 years, and have a clear understanding of what not only your break-even point on your businesses, but also what your exit strategies are going to be in, in the situation of, of cost compression or solvency or anything along those lines, if you have a clear understanding of what the long-term value of the business, what the long-term value of the assets and the licenses are, you end up controlling your own fate and your own destiny. A lot of times, companies don't have that level of comprehensiveness and that level of understanding for their businesses. And that's why, you know, our business, our company is a little different than most. Um, you know, we write pro formas and like a lot of companies that write pro formas, typically their performers are P&Ls. They're based on, you know, a specific set of assumptions. Our right. pro formas are much more comprehensive. They are based on commercial real estate first, where we have a clear understanding of the real estate assumptions, the financial assumptions, and we break out every exit strategy up to 15 years with BE points and have a clear understanding of what your IRRs are, your NOIs are, your ROIs are, uh, and it's broken down so you have a clear understanding of what the highest cost and value of your business is at every given point. You know, if you look at a traditional business from a one to 10 year perspective, year one, you're getting operational, year two, you're gonna be cash flow positive, year five is gonna be potentially the best year for you to sell, one of the best years for you to sell when you're gonna be at your high, and year 10 is the point where you're going to have to make a significant financial contribution um, on the CapEx side back into the business because of the depreciation to your assets, to the equipment, to the facility itself. And so having a very clear understanding and using that pro forma more as a roadmap to your business where you're reassessing and repositioning your business quarterly 
gives you a significant advantage as a business, but also in the marketplace because you know what the right points are to make financial decisions for your company. Yeah, well, I think that strategy and approach is so sound because to me, it appears that you're really helping your clients just get a better uh, understanding of why it's important to have your financials you know, buttoned up because as this industry grows and as it becomes more mainstream and as financial resources from outside the industry start peeking over the fence, if you can present your business as just what I like to call a highly regulated agricultural vertical, that's a lot different. And you may have a great deal more success because, you know, the other point that I picked up on is just how different it is from state to state. You know, in Florida, where there were only, you know, a few handfuls of licenses, they got flipped pretty quickly at a multiple that who knows how the heck they came up with it because there were no seeds in the ground even versus in other states where it's been you know, a little looser, like look at Oklahoma, $2,500 gets you a new license versus Rhode Island where a license will be $500,000. So, you know, I, I think this notion of other, st every state is its own sovereign nation and that creates a lot of unique challenges. So, you know, with, with you and your colleagues guiding your customers sort of through this regulatory framework, it, it's only going to help them in the long run, I would imagine. No, you're, you're spot on. I think one of the biggest biggest things that people have, have to understand is just, exactly what you said. It's just how different every state is and what the value of each state is. We've got a number of groups. We've got a few of our financial groups that we've been talking to about a few of our, our current projects, and most of them have Wall Street backgrounds and you know former executives of J.P. Morgan, Bear Stearns, Wells Fargo, so on. And they've started private funds, and these private funds are in the you know thirty-five to two hundred fifty million dollar range, and they're investing in serious, large-scale cannabis businesses. And as I'm having conversations with them about different markets that they're going into, the conversation with them is is very much on the value of licensing. A lot of them don't want to go into states, for instance, like Oklahoma, you know. And that's not a knock on Oklahoma in any way, shape, or form. It's just the fact that a license in Oklahoma is worth twenty-five hundred dollars, and the competition is going to be very, very large because of the sheer availability of licensing, right? And you go to a state like Florida where you've got one group selling a license, that license gives you the ability to start, you know, more than 20 retail stores and 20 and on over 20 different facilities with a single license that has a high value. You know, a lot of the groups we're talking to, they're focusing on federalization. They're focusing on getting ahead of the market. So exactly what we've been talking about before, they want to get ahead of the game and they're looking at it much more strategically with a long-term approach because that that aspect and that viewpoint of the gold rush and cannabis has really transitioned into a much more sophisticated um, complicated market for a commodity effectively so Danny, you know, you bring up some good points, you know, kind of regarding licensing and you kind of going after what matters, um, you know, in terms of the future, there are a variety of states that are considering cannabis for uh, medical or recreational programs, you know, within the next hundred days, New Jersey, Arizona, Mississippi, South Dakota. Um, you know, what does that mean for PMG and, uh, you know, how early do you guys get want to get on the ground or, you know, are, are any of these states of interest to you uh, at this time? 
you know, we work with, it's a good question. We work with companies across the board in a lot of states, and we've got strong partnerships with a number of different groups, uh, groups such as a Point seven group out of Colorado, for instance, which helps a lot of companies with their license acquisition. And, you know, we partner with them. They've got a, a brilliant CEO uh, and, and, a, and a very strong operational team, and they help clients attain their licenses, put together the business plans, write their SOPs, you know, put together a very comprehensive business structure to be able to, to acquire the necessary licenses to grow their business. And so we get in on the ground floor with these groups in a lot of different states. Uh, you know, those are the types of relationships and the types of the types of comprehensive relationships that you're going to need to really attain these licenses because the groups applying for licenses in those states, they're starting well in advance. They're starting years in advance, planning and putting together business plans that are very, very detailed and thorough and comprehensive, inclusive of every aspect of the business itself. And that's typically where we like to get in. You know, pre-licensure, we can put together uh, basic pro formas on the real estate, on the operations and finance, and get a clear understanding or the ballpark framework of financially what the cost and financial implication is going to be for the entirety of the business. And then when that license is acquired, you know, we reassess and reposition those pro formas. And then we do the same thing quarterly to make sure that you're always staying ahead of the game. As you uh, look into these states or as they start coming along, you know, we've monitored them for the last five years and there's often a long lead time between a state saying yes we're going medical we're going rec and then people actually being able to buy product in stores uh, I, I i liken it to forming a team in organizational development it goes through a forming norming performing storming kind of stage before you actually have an industry that's up and running so assuming there is a long timeline you know how how early do you need to get in on the ground? You know, is it is it is it post vote? Is it before the vote? Is it when you know some other trigger happens or somebody reaches out to you? For us, we can get we can get involved pretty much at any point. We had a client that applied for a license in Missouri, and we got involved with them two weeks before they submitted their application. Uh, now we had to we had a lot of long uh, all nighters. Uh, to put everything together for them, but we typically like to get involved. You know, I would say post vote is probably not a bad way of looking at it. There are groups that certainly do get involved earlier and in advance, and it does give them a leg up. Uh, it depends on the type of business that you're putting together. You know, if you're starting a, a single retail store, it's different than applying for a multitude of vertically integrated licenses. Um, so the level of sophistication, the level of, of difficulty for your business, for the real estate, for the development, you know, those all play, play a major factor and a role in making decisions, which is why, you know, most companies getting into new states, you really want to bring the right group in that can help you analyze and make the best possible decisions for your business. Starting out early is only going to give you an advantage. And you're not going to have to rush because states make changes, as we've all seen. And you're going to have to make adjustments to those plans and to your business, uh, to your SOPs and to your business objectives based on the changes that they make. Getting involved, getting on the ground floor a little bit earlier than everybody else will give you a leg up on your competition, in my opinion. 
Well, that is uh, some great, great advice, Danny. And, you know, really, this has been such an informative podcast. Like Ed said, you know, we haven't had someone, you know, from, uh, you know, the financial background on the show quite yet. And I think, you know, you brought a lot brought up a lot of great points. And, you know, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciated having you on the show. Thank you both so much. I really appreciated being on. Um, if, uh, if you guys ever need anything, give me a shout. Uh, PMG Development certainly looks forward to working with uh, many cannabis companies in the future. We will definitely do that. Thank you so much, Danny. All right, Ed. So taking a look ahead, what data and license updates do we have to look forward to from the data vaults? Well, there's two things that I'm keeping an eye on right now. The team is still working their way through Virginia hemp data. I think I've referenced it in the past. It's uh, just been hard data to work through. The, the quality of the information has been tough to tease apart, but uh, they've been working very hard. So I'm hopeful that we'll be able to release that in the next week or so. And then I'm writing a can of curio blog post on nationwide cultivation licenses really what's happened through the first half of the year to to give an update because uh cultivation licenses are a really important part of the uh of the value chain it's where it all starts 100 percent. let me guess california oklahoma and michigan are going to be our leading contenders of this report you nailed it that's exactly right <laughs> wonderful well definitely looking forward to uh, next week's can of curio uh, everyone, thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We're your host, Amanda Guerrero and Ed Keating. Stay tuned for more updates from the Data Vault. Thanks for listening to the Canicurio podcast by Cannabis Media. Stay up to date with the latest episodes of the podcast and get alerts on the latest licensing activity in the United States and Canada, as well as exclusive industry insights by signing up for the Cannabis Media Licensing Newsletter at cannabis.media newsletter.